Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And I will read verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Our Father, we thank you this morning for giving us your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might receive your word which is preached today and that we might be confirmed, conformed to your word and that you might help us for we need you every hour. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the last time that we looked at Mark, which was last week, we uh, saw that Jesus had just begun his public ministry. Sometime after he was baptized by John and is pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And now we find Jesus on the shores of Galilee. At that time, we considered the first words that Jesus proclaims in verse 15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It means the kingdom of God has drawn near already. It's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God arriving in the person of Jesus is a huge ringing announcement because it's about the sovereignty of God. It's about the kingdom of God on earth, which actually you need to see in the whole Bible, all 66 books, even in the Old Testament. The rule of God, the kingship of God, the dominion of God being established in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God being established in the gospel, which was actually proclaimed first all the way back in Genesis 3.15 by the almighty triune God, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, your seed and her seed in the original. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So you see the first proclamation of the gospel is not in the New Testament, but indeed all the way back in the Old Testament, in the very first book of the Bible. 
in the heart of Jesus' first words, the nucleus of the very first words that our Savior preached was the announcement that the kingdom of God had broken in with Jesus' own coming, with the coming of the kingdom in Jesus in this way, sin and guilt are dealt with as sinners repent and believe in that gospel. The Jews expected, maybe even you might have expected or you want to see, that this inbreaking of the kingdom of God would be like some sort of a military siege or some kind of an acquisition by force in which there would be a display of power for all of the world to see. Similar to when troops are finally given that command, charge, and they come in and they take over everything. But it doesn't happen that way. When Jesus brings in his kingdom, and when his kingdom displaces the kingdom of Satan, his people repent. His people believe in the gospel. Not only in the gospel message, which is important, but they believe in Jesus Christ himself for salvation. And you do this even counting the cost. Even after reading what happens to John the Baptist and what will happen to him later being beheaded for the sake of the gospel. And even though we know what happens to our Savior. And really, that is what is happening from verse 16 to the end of the chapter and how that works out. Sinners repent of their sins. Sinners believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verses 16 through 20, sinners drop everything. They drop everything that they are doing and everything that they have and follow Jesus. You need to realize that the call of Jesus demands a response. Repent and believe in the gospel. Remember that this is a package. You need both. And following Jesus is huge because it means that you become fishers of men. Because it means calling other men and women to repentance and faith. Jesus calls the first disciples sinners And he says, follow me. In a way, you can say that that following Jesus' first words preached in verses 14 and 15, this is now the first act of Jesus' ministry. You can say that this is the first demonstration of the authority of the kingdom of God. Jesus calls the fishermen follow. In Mark, this is the first recorded act of Jesus' ministry, and it's not something that is sensational. He doesn't start off performing a miracle, as you would see in John's gospel. 
I know this is probably something you would expect or would have liked to have seen. But you need to remember that Mark has a different purpose in his gospel record. I like what one commentator says. He says, The kingdom of God does not come with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of Galilee. In a sense, you see the parable of the mustard seed in Mark 4 being acted out here in real life, don't you? Verses 30 through 32 say, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when is sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nest in its shade. Starts off small and then grows gradually, gradually, and gradually. In chapter 1, there are just two normal sets of brothers on a normal day and they're doing their normal work. Four ordinary men, fishermen, and they drop everything and they leave everything. Their nets were their livelihood. One set of brothers even left their own father and their own hired servants to follow Jesus. I hope you see here that there is nothing here spectacular to be displayed for all to see. Yet Jesus has ushered in the kingdom. Yes, Jesus is king. But Jesus is also servant. So you're saying there's no miracle happening here? Well, not at all. You see, because the amazing thing is, by his grace, he calls ordinary people. People like you and me who are just doing their day-to-day -day ordinary work. You might think that he would call four lawyers or doctors or presidents or some great teacher from one of the synagogues in Galilee. Nope. Just two sets of brothers who are fishermen. And along the Sea of Galilee, I bet there were a lot of fishermen as it was the ordinary occupation in an area where there was a lot of fish. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? Well, I think there are three points of application. There are three things that we should pull out from these verses. And the first thing is that we should see that it is that Jesus calls sinners to himself. Jesus calls sinners. In these verses, we see that it was a call to follow Jesus. Jesus called men to follow him. No other teacher, nor rabbi, nor leader would do it that way. He called them. Jesus did the commanding. He said, follow me. And they immediately followed him. And the fishermen went to Jesus. The fishermen did not call Jesus. 
They did not search for him. How can they? How can they? How can a sinner, any sinner, search for Jesus? A sinner, even though he might be a morally good person, has fallen short of God's glory in every way, shape, and form. Even if he doesn't know it or thinks he knows it. A sinner doesn't wake up in the morning, brush his teeth, make his breakfast, and say, I'm going to seek Jesus today. Romans 3 is very clear on that. It says there is no one that seeks after God. Nobody in his own volition would even think of seeking Jesus Christ, let alone choose him. So they did not choose him. The fishermen were busy working. They were busy working hard at their daily task of casting their nets into the lake. And and these nets, they were these big circular nets with rocks attached to weigh down the corners that they would throw in off their boats. And then divers would dive in after the nets, reach the bottom and pick them up and either bring them to the boat or to the shore to see what kind of catch they had. It was busy work. There was a lot going on. And these men were also, the Bible says, mending their nets. You know, the rocks tied to the net, plus the heavy fish that they would have caught, along with other stuff, would have been exceedingly heavy. And they used them every day. And these nets were dragging across the rocks on the lake floor. And the currents and and all of this would have caused damage to the nets that they needed constant repair. So you see, they were busy. They were doing their normal tasks. They were hard at work. Yet Jesus goes into their world. Jesus goes to where they are. And he meets them there and he calls them. He goes in and stops them in their tracks, as it were. And it's in their world where this discipleship all begins. You know, in the day, people would have chosen their teachers. Much like today, you you apply to universities that you are interested in, that that you uh, that have your major that are well known to you that you would like to join. You choose the major focus of study that you would like to pursue. And other religions, even the practitioner chooses the sect or the god or whatever that they wish to follow. But here, Jesus chooses and calls out his students, those whom he wants to follow, him. Jesus takes the initiative. You know, even the rabbis of the day would have called you to believe in their teaching and their doctrine and their particular views. Some of them would even have called you to the law. And so in the day where there were uh, different zealous religious groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, these schools would, would emphasize their own particular certain teachings. Jesus did not say that or do that. The first thing he does in this passage is he called them to himself. He says, come. 
He says, follow me. Now that's a very bold statement. He does not require them to demonstrate anything or achieve any level of required knowledge or go through any sort of initiation process. They didn't need to go through a rigorous exam process and demonstrate that they know the Hebrew language from front to back. They don't need to show how well they have kept the law. No. They didn't even have to show how they can memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Not at all. Jesus says, come. That's it. And again, it's Jesus' voice alone. There's no need to perform accompanying miracles. No need to debate with them. No need to persuade them. He just said the word, and it was probably in a calm, quiet voice. And they heard and stopped what they were doing and followed him. That was the only thing that the fishermen could do. All they could do was respond to the command of Jesus, which is grounded on his authority. When the kingdom of God establishes ground in your life and displaces Satan and his minions... That is the only response that you can possibly have. If you repent and believe in the gospel, you believe in Jesus himself, then when he calls, you only respond by following him. That was the first point. The second thing that that should be clear to you is that he chooses sinners to follow him. He chooses sinners to follow him. He commands you to follow him. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, his is a call of discipleship. It is a call to follow Jesus and to learn from him as his apprentices, so to speak. Jesus uses a metaphor here that these four men would have been very familiar with because they are fishermen after all. So they know what it means to go fishing. Getting the nets ready and casting them into the lake. And now he says that they will be doing the same thing, but not fishing for fish in the lake, but for men and women in the world. And they would not use a net made out of rope and, and tie rocks to it and cast it out to see how many people they can trap with it. They would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. They would preach Jesus Christ. They would call men and women to repentance. They would call men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy to miss an important word here, become. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's important because they were not chosen because they were already master evangelists. You see, it's a process. Discipleship is a process. 
It's a process of observing and listening and learning. I remember when I was young, in the summertime, my dad would take my brother and me to the mountains, to Big Bear Lake, to go fishing. When we first started going, he would not give us a fishing rod right away. Instead, he would ask us to sit and to watch and to observe what he was doing. He told us to be quiet and listen to what he is doing and to pay attention. And we would sometimes spend the whole time sitting and watching. And in Big Bear, believe it or not, in the summer, it can get hot sitting there next to the lake. And then he would patiently show us how to bait the hook and then how to cast. And then if we were fortunate enough, how to reel in the fish. We caught quite a few trout. You see, that's what these four fishermen were called to do, not, not catch trout. They were called to sit patiently at the feet of Jesus following his instructions, learning and growing. Brothers and sisters, that is what discipleship is. Remember that you were chosen. Remember that you were called out of your previous lifestyle into the kingdom of God. And none of you were religious superstars, even if you thought you were. But Jesus patiently works with you he gives you a measure of, of his Holy Spirit to be and to do as he instructs you. Brothers and sisters, a life of discipleship is a process of maturing in the faith. It's a life of reading your Bible and studying and learning. And I know it's hard, but maybe even memorizing a bit of it. And at times you fail. At times you feel like you're just not good enough. At times you might want to just give up. But Jesus patiently and lovingly picks you back up and he nudges you forward. Well, you also need to get this. And this is very important. And I need to say it again. Who started it? Who initiated it? It was Jesus just like he was the one who gives repentance and faith, he is the one who does the calling. By his grace, by his love, by his compassion, Jesus calls out to you. And he does this by his divine authority as well. Because after all, he is king. But remember too that he is servant king. He calls you with his servant heart and he calls you in his still, gentle, calm voice. And so this discipleship that he calls you to also includes service. As Mark's gospel moves forward, you'll notice that Jesus serves his disciples by teaching them, but also in practical ways by making them meals, by washing their feet. And as they sit and watch, they too learn what it means to serve. And in turn, 
they go and serve each other. Brothers and sisters, you too are called to serve one another in Jesus. And the text says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, does this mean that there was immediacy in their response to the call? Well, maybe. It, it makes sense that when the Lord speaks and you hear that your response should be immediate, that that is biblical. That is true. You should listen and obey right away. But also remember, too, Mark's style of writing. He wants the narrative to move on, and he doesn't want the reader to get bogged down in any particular part. So yes, there is immediacy in response. They responded right away because the Spirit of God was already at work in their hearts. And so when they heard the word, they dropped everything to follow him. That was their only response that they could have. And Mark keeps the narrative going. And so when you are called by Jesus himself, and when you are called to Jesus himself, you are called to discipleship. Well, the third thing is, which is, I, I think, not as clear, but you should get from this passage, is that Jesus' call is a call to community. It is a call to serve one another in community. Here we see Jesus' formation of his as a lot of the commentators said, his inner circle. But remember what they are called for. They are called to Jesus himself to follow him, and he would make them become fishers of men. And becoming fishers of men means, as I said earlier, that you are called to call other men and women to repentance. You are called to call other men and women, to faith, and to, God, uh, to faith in the gospel, to believe in Jesus. And then what happens then? Well, more and more sheep are brought into the sheepfold, and more and more people are brought into the company of followers of Jesus. And more and more people are brought in to the kingdom of God. So I don't think that it would be too much of a stretch to say that this little band of followers, this little fellowship of believers, are the seedlings of a greater community to be formed, which is the church. Do you see it? As they call others, it begins to grow and it begins to flourish. It begins to prosper. As the tree flourishes and becomes a refuge in the parable of the mustard seed, so the church becomes a place of refuge for lost souls, those lost souls which are found and which are called out by Jesus. And another parable that comes to mind is the parable of the leaven, the parable of the yeast. As the widow kneads the dough, the yeast works its way through the whole lump. And the band of believers starts out as so insignificant, doesn't it? And maybe so in, unimportant in the eyes of the world. But it grows. And as it grows, it flourishes. As the gospel progresses, it, it gains traction, so to speak. The four disciples become 12. 
more and more people hop on board and follow Jesus from place to place. Of course, this is all Jesus' initiation. Of course, these are the people who observe him and his ministry. There are also those around that try to trap him and find excuses and ways to accuse him. And there are also those who are genuinely curious, those who are convinced even about this Jesus. And so the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God grows and flourishes. And even today, the kingdom continues to grow and to flourish. And nothing has, is, will, nor can hinder the growth of the kingdom of God in Jesus. Now, it's not an exaggeration to emphasize the importance of being part of a local church. Being part of the local church's membership. Because being a member of a local body in God's kingdom is really where the call of Jesus can be properly heard and obeyed and discipleship can take place, direct discipleship. And so my question is, have you committed yourself to a local body yet? Are you ready to become a communicating member, maybe even here, of Sovereign Grace, where you profess your faith publicly and you're brought in to the fold of Christ here as Sovereign Grace OPC? Have you heard Jesus' call? Are you following Jesus' call? Are you following Jesus himself? Do you believe in and are you living for the supremacy of Christ? You know, because the glory always belongs to Jesus. May God help us all to believe in the gospel today. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your goodness toward us in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only does he make gospel proclamation, he calls men and women everywhere, even today, to drop what they're doing and to follow him. And we pray as a congregation that those people that hear his voice would indeed follow him all the days of their lives. And we pray the same. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.